Welcome to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe from Dogs 24-7. With me is Rusty Mansell, also from Dogs 24-7. And uh, both Rusty and myself are, are coming off a little bit of vacation time. And Rusty, uh, I don't know about you, much needed. Uh, wasn't, wasn't all that restful, but uh, how did yours go? It was great. Uh, we, do, we do a thing every just about every year. It's probably... This is not going to sound like a vacation to a lot of people, but we do a thing with five or six couples, all our kids, rent a big house on the beach, and really just just spend time uh, with our families, kids, uh, a bunch of college buddies, and cook out at night. Don't really go, uh, don't really go into uh, all the touristy area. We go down to Seacrest, so we really don't make it into Destin or, or the PC area much at all. And, just kind of relax and, and, and unwind, but big, big, the big thing of the week is the father-son wiffle ball game, and I'm proud to say that uh, team team dad bod uh, won again in a if game, so we uh, came from behind to win 13-10 to 10 on that last one, but this might be the last year that these, these dads uh, win that big series, we'll see, but we definitely don't take it easy on those young bucks, and um, they're, they're, they're itching to beat their dads one year and it's going to happen. This might be the last year that we can quote unquote order those rings. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like vacation to me because this was, uh, this is my first vacation with a 12 week old boy and, uh, man, yeah. hotel room. I don't care how nice it was. And we, we went for nice. I don't care how nice it is. A 12 week old boy and a four year old girl, especially one that that is nowhere near a silent sufferer. She's she's gonna let you know anything time something's wrong. Uh, that was that was pretty difficult. We went to Asheville for a few days. Got to visit a couple of breweries. Got to eat some really good food and and uh, see some good friends. And then uh, we ended up kind of cutting it short, coming home for the last three or four days. And golly, that was that was a lot more relaxing than anything else. But uh, glad to be back and and kind of doing doing the job. I mean, I, I think you you you've fit this bill as much as anybody is you know it's not who you are but it becomes a part of who you are and and you know you you enjoy following it you enjoy kind of doing your job and make sure you're not missing out on anything and um i i think you know and i know a lot of people out there going to roll their eyes at this when you do this job you kind of feel guilty when you just shut everything off a little bit you kind of feel bad about it because you know there's news out there to be chased and and you enjoy chasing it so you want to be doing it but it's it's good to take some time away for sure. Kip is not taking any time away. He's got some vacation coming up in July, uh, but but he's out at the open and and killing it. I mean, we couldn't be prouder of uh, of of the job he's doing. He's he's murdering it out there, and I know I know folks on our side are loving it. I went, I went to bed Sunday night, and we had texted a little bit, and he said, "Hey, look, I'm thinking about putting up a uh, you know a dog treat, to, you know, maybe tonight." I said, "Look, drop those things twelve oh one." I said, "Let's just start Monday off." Drop what you got at twelve oh one, and he goes out of work, and I kind of fell asleep, and, and and woke up the next day. You know, always go on. You, you and I, I think kind of do the same thing. Check all the pin stories and what needs to be taken down, all that. And I'm scrolling. I'm like, wait a minute, it's like fourteen stories up, and like Kip wrote them all uh, from the first day. So I was like, man, and I finally texted him. I said, dude, are you alive? And he said, barely, but. Uh, yeah, man, what great work by Kip out there, and uh, you know, been been working with Kip for a while, and you know, we all have our strengths, and we all have, you know, 
areas we all could, you know, improve on, including myself. Everyday writing is 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 not the my strength, but Kip, when you get in a setting like that, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to beat Kip because he he locks in and he, he interviews people well and gets to the point, man. I thought I thought Kip did a great job. He's doing a hell of a job out there, but I thought he did a great job on getting the the information that our our members and our subscribers wanted from the key targets. You know, those kids kind of lock it down, but in a setting like that, you can interview them any time. So, like you said, man, I mean, Kip's killing it. That brings us into our first topic, too. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's the opening, and, and that's kind of the, the topic du jour, so to speak. I mean, that's definitely what, what's going on right now. And uh, there's a lot of buzz from out there. And I tell you what, man, uh, probably more so than any class in the Kirby Smart era. And if this is saying something, too, because you're talking about a number three class, a number one class, a number two class. I feel like there's more buzz at the opening about Georgia this year. Um, you know, you got guys like, you know, you got a commitment in Marcus Rosamy, um, who who's killing it. Kendall Milton, um, you know, I think it's 6'2", 220 pounds, a 4.49, uh, 5'940". Um, that's that's blistering for a kid that big. And I know everybody wants their four threes and their four fours, but when you're six two, two hundred and twenty pounds, and you run that, that that's impressive. And and just a lot of good, positive Georgia vibes from from uh, from out in Frisco, Texas. What what kind of has stood out to you thus far? Again, touching on Kendall Milton in in, in the forty. Um, you know, I, I, I was not sad concerned. I was interested in what he ran because I've looked at this hundred times and uh, they're very comparable to, you know, Tank Bigsby and those types of guys. You know, Kobe Pryor is a little bit bigger than him, probably a little bit faster. But what impressed me yesterday was that rep against Noel Sewell. When you watch him make him miss in that cat and mouse game between the running backs and the linebackers, a guy that big makes you miss in small space. And that that's how that translates to football. When you get a one on, when you're one on one with a running back and a linebacker, you know coming off that six gap right there, coming off the in between the tackle and the tight end, and, and you got to make that guy miss. DeAndre Swift's great with that, just like that Kentucky run this year when he made that guy whiff on him, he put his foot in the ground and made him miss in that small area. That's the difference between a touchdown and a six yard game. And seeing Kendall Milton yesterday makes Noel Sewell miss in that small area. That's what tells you this guy's elite in his frame, as you said, six two, you know, two hundred twenty pound guy. Uh, the ability to make you miss in small spaces, change of direction, that type of thing is great. Yeah, he's a he's a freak show, man. I mean, he's he's yeah. so big. I mean, and you see it when you when you watch that video, you see it. You see he's kind of a high hip, long legged running back a little bit, and and he's kind of got that build about him. And to be that quick, I, you know, you mention it, but you know, I I played against in high school. You know, he played at Clinch County. Jonathan Smith played at uh, Georgia Tech. Ended up playing with the Buffalo Bills for a while. He was a thousand yard receiver for Georgia Tech. I'll never forget, man. I was I had him one on one in a hole. Um, you know, he, he had taken a little quarterback draw, quarterback lead. I can't remember what it was, and it was just me and him. And I said, all right, he's got nowhere to go. You know, we've got a five-foot hole right here, and, 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 you know, I've got him. And he put a move on me, and before I, real, before I caught my balance, I could see his head running past me in the hole directly to, the, to, to his left and my right because, I, I, I mean – that's just something. That's something that that you can't teach. You can't really develop it. I mean, you know. And the thing about Kendall Milton to me is, you know, you talk about the speed. I mean, we learned last year that a four eight, four nine running back, 
like Elijah Holyfield can succeed in the SEC. He can he can be a powerful back. He can even bust off his 20-yard runs if he's got the kind of quickness that you're talking about. But Kendall Milton strikes me as the kind of kid, and you run into this with big kids more than you do smaller ones, is, you know, in in four years, three, four years, when he's at the NFL Combine, and, and he's had a chance to perfect that start, and he's had a chance to be in a college strength and conditioning program and to do all the plyometric type stuff and the flexibility stuff that they're going to do. It's not going to surprise me to see him shave a tenth off of that and be an even faster guy because, you know, as far as the 40-yard dash goes, because that, that's where it all comes from. It's, it's, there's a lot of technique, and these guys don't get that same training that other guys do as far as that goes. So to me, him busting out a four, you know, four five nine. Uh, you know, it, I mean, laser is is huge. I mean, it's massive, and and it really erases a lot of the question marks that, that anybody might have had about him. And and you know, just like I said, with that size, and I mean, you know, at that size, he's gonna have you know big hands. He's a fluid athlete. He's gonna be able to catch the ball. And uh, you know, he he's starting to for those who he didn't check all the boxes off with before. He's starting to do that with a lot of folks, including myself. And, um, you know, as a prospect, I'm liking him more and more the more I hear about him from the opening. And and then not only that, but winning alpha dog after – after day one on a, on a day that's not maybe not necessarily built for a 6'2", 220-pound back. That's right. And, I, and, and, look, everybody talks about this and brings it up on the board. You have to rank them from top to bottom at some point. Okay, now we're just now – the entire network and the guys that do all this, you know, Charles Power, Steve Wilk, Vaughn, Barton Simmons, those guys that have to put their final stamp on the guys at the end of the day – just now see all these guys together. Now, we've seen them in regionals and different places, but they're all coming together in one spot. I personally think Zach Evans is the number one guy in this class. There, there is zero questions for me with Zach Evans. I, I, I love his tape. I love what he does. He's physical, great balance, speed. He has it all. Now, people tend to take that and think, well, there's nobody else that's elite back. There's guys that are elite backs, but you've got to rank one number one, and for me, it's Zach Evans. But Kendall Milton is certainly in the talk right there to be number two, along with some other guys. I love Seth McGowan as well. The other young man from Texas um, that wanted to connect to Oklahoma. But, you know, I think people get bent out of shape a little bit when I say Zach, it's Zach Evans and everybody else. There's other very, very good elite backs in this class. I just think that Evans is the number one. And we also find out that Georgia's still hot on the trail of Marshawn Lloyd. You know, I, I watched some of the clips from him in the cat and mouse drill yesterday, and I thought he was also really impressive. I mean, he's a guy that can put his foot in the ground and and kind of uh, and 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 you know just be gone in a second. I mean, you know, the lateral quickness there is big. I know he's not an elite top end speed guy. You know, probably in that Sony Michelle range there in terms of being able to stretch it out and run away from guys. Of course, Sony. You know, improved as his Georgia career went on, um, and his ability to create big plays. But Georgia's still all over him. They're still all over Tank Bigsby. Um, you know, it's it's looking more and more. And I know it, recruiting ebbs and flows. It really does. And I know there were some Georgia fans a month ago, maybe sooner than that, that were kind of concerned about, hey, this is Georgia. Georgia recruits elite backs. Georgia's got a spot for two elite backs. They very much need two elite backs. Are they going to get it? And uh, it's looking more and more like that's going to happen. And, and you know, I think Tank Bigsby's right there in that discussion as well. Uh, incredible athlete. I, he's one of the few guys I've had a chance to actually spot in person. And he is a he's a good-looking player, man. I mean, he is a very well-put-together athlete, a guy that I think is going to put on about 10 pounds at the next level and be able to pound it uh, But between the tackles. Marcus Rosemey is another guy that, that really had a strong day yesterday. 
I don't know how you feel about him, Rusty, but I know that, that when Georgia started becoming a real factor for him, I watched his film. I started reading up on this kid, and the more I see of him, the more I like of him. Uh, he kind of he reminds me, if you want to keep it in Georgia circles, uh, of maybe a little bit more of a, a, a speedy, a little bit faster Muhammad Massaqua type. There's already a lot of a lot of polish there. There's already a lot of, of developed football talent, but there's also a lot of untapped athletic ability um, there for me as well. But he, he's having a strong strong showing out there as well. You see him with his body, and he's able to uh, separate the end with his reach. He's six two and a half, you know, 200-pound guy. He's able to – you see those those plays. And you could call it pushing off, but it's part of the game now. I mean, that's what happens when an offensive receiver gets by you by step. The referee is going to give you that. And I saw him twice yesterday at the end put his free hand on the defender to free his right arm up just enough to be able to make those two catches. And that's what you do when you start getting these tight coverages. And, you know, as the game moves up a level – uh, the windows become smaller, the coverages become smaller, the areas and, and that length. And, and you look at him, he's a four five five guy. I think he, that's what he is. And comes from a major program down in South Florida, St. Thomas Aquinas. So I love everything I see about him right now. And I know why Georgia's on him hard. And look, they beat Florida and Ohio State for him. And, and uh, you know, Georgia, uh, that's a guy. I mean, they've got just got to keep getting those types. And, and it's amazing to kind of think about that. As the show came on, it's amazing what Georgia is doing in South Florida. They're getting two or three really, really good players right now in every cycle uh, under Kirby Smart. You know, and another guy that that you know, and, and moving over to the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, you brought him up a minute ago. He he got you know he got got by an, an elite player himself, but was Noah Sewell. I mean, two hundred sixty-six pounds, four six six forty. Um, that I, I'm, I mean. I've heard a lot about this guy, and and I and I I brought this up in, a, in an insider notes article that I wrote, and I've also brought it up. Uh, I may have brought it up on, on the only other podcast that I've done with a, with the site thus far. Um, like I have, I have, I can't tell you how many people have that have seen him in person, that saw him in person at Georgia when he visited, that that have told me this is the best looking kid I have seen. Period, maybe. I mean, you know, in years. And, and, you know, for him to go out there, for him to test like that, you know, to hear guys like Charles Power and Steve Wolfong talk about how he belonged when he was moving with the outside, inside linebackers. I mean, yeah, maybe he puts on another 15, 20 pounds and becomes, you know, a strong side defensive end type or a, or a, or a big jumbo outside linebacker type guy that's rushing from the edge. But, I mean, to be 266 pounds right now, and to be able to move well enough to, to hold your own and, and to look like you belong with the inside linebackers, I mean, that's, that's freakish. And, and you know, we, we find out, you know, here, uh, I think it was Greg Biggins here probably about 20 minutes ago uh, as we're recording this, um, puts out that, that Georgia's locked in for an official visit for him, and, and it looks like the Bulldogs have made a move there. Um, you know, it would, it would seem that, that he's definitely up there in terms of the, the inside linebacker that they want to try to bring into this class. I'll tell you a comparison. Um, and look, Lynch Hume has done a great job, especially on some of these out-of-state battles. I know he lost Trent Simpson here like recently, but uh, you know he was involved with Kobe Dean. You look at you know Channing Tindall, that battle for South Carolina. You look at Monty Rice. Um, you know, those battles that, that Lynch Hume won out-of-state, and he's definitely going to be in one for Noel Sewell, no question about it. But I think a good comparison. A lot of people want to talk about 
uh, his size. And I'll give you another comparison uh, of a guy that's a bigger linebacker that played for this staff, for these guys, is Reggie Ragland in Alabama. Reggie Ragland was 263, 264 pounds when he got to Bama, and he left at 250. So, uh, you know, Noel Sewell is that type of guy, I think, that can, that can, cam- that can come in. He's athletically. Uh, look, it, this happens. I mean, there's always that one guy. You know, every three or four years, it did, all the measurables just don't add up. But who cares because he can play. He's proven he can move at where he's at. Uh, obviously, he comes from three. I think he's got three different athletes, uh, siblings that are playing college football. So, comes from a long line of athletes uh, in his family coming from Utah. So, it's going to be real interesting. But I know that he is a major, major target uh, for Georgia and Glenn Schumann, those guys, and, and getting him back on official visit. What they say, Notre Dame weekend, uh, which will be big because which would be big because they they'll have the Sunday off. So if he gets in, say, say if he gets in Saturday morning, uh, you know, George is off the next week. If he gets in Saturday morning, he can have the game experience. Uh, that night, he can do all his stuff on Sunday. They can do the dinner Sunday night, and he can leave Monday morning. So he'll get that 48 hours on campus. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just big, getting him back. If you're going to take somebody like that from out west, and if they, and if they can get Kendall Milton, Something tells me Kendall Milton's going to be another alpha guy. If Georgia can land him, and it's, it's, it's starting to lean that way, obviously the, the, the buzz is, I'm not ready to make my crystal ball yet, but I'm just saying if Georgia can land Kendall Milton, I think he's going to be an alpha recruiter for them out west, and I bet you he locks in on Keely Ringo and Noel Sewell quickly if he becomes a part of his class. To wrap up the opening talk, um, I wanted to wanted to talk about the the reps, and and you kind of changed my mind on it in a thread on the board earlier today, talking about Tate Rattledge against Brian uh, Brezzy. Uh, you know, I looked at those, and you know, you brought up the bull rush thing, but one of the first things that you know, obviously, they went, you know, they went back and forth. It wasn't like either guy dominated either re- any of the reps. Uh, you know, I know uh, Rattledge did a really good job catching Brezzy in that spin move, but. One of the things that stuck out to me, Rusty, and, and I want to get your opinion on this, is, yeah, Brezzy did drop his head one time and kind of bull rush Tate Ratledge. Um, when, when that kid d- drops the head and bull rushes on a guy, more often than not, um, you're going to see the bottom of that guy, the, the, the guy who's trying to block him's feet. You're gonna, you're, his, his toes are going to be over his nose in a heartbeat, and that didn't happen. Tate Ratledge showed incredible balance. Um, you know, kept his weight on the inside of his feet and, and was able to kind of hold his ground there. I thought that said as much to me about Tate Ratledge as anything in those reps is a big, powerful defensive end, one that can beat you with athleticism, one that can beat you with, with strength. And, and Tate Ratledge not only held his own, but, but was able to kind of maintain his balance and, and really trade blows with, with a, I mean, a fantastic football player like you noted. There's a reason he's ranked the way he is, and, and that's kind of what stuck out to me. He just uh, – you know, just just the, the the ability for a high school kid to have that kind of power balance and, and tenacity. See, that's that's to me that's something that doesn't get talked about enough with offensive linemen is balance and body control. And I was really impressed from watching those clips uh, with, with Tate Ratledge. Tate Ratledge has got so much ceiling left in him. I mean, I know him well. I am ten minutes from him. Uh, my daughter, uh, same class with him. She's known Tate since he was a freshman. They're good friends. Um, he has so much ceiling left in him 
to to get better, and that's scary because he is a really really good player right now. He is playing single A private in Georgia. He is playing both ways, and I'm gonna tell you. I told Tate the other day, last time I talked to him, I said, "I know you're gassed. I know the second quarter because teams don't. When he's on defense, they just throw it from sideline to sideline. They make him run." I watched Andrew Thomas do it in high school. Andrew Thomas couldn't even get down in a stance in the second quarter versus Love It on the night I wouldn't see him play. So I learned my lesson then to to not overthink watching a guy not making a ton of plays because he's the biggest guy on the field. Uh, but I'll say this, Tate Ratledge is, is, is special. He's going to be a very, very good. He has the makeup. Uh, he has the mind. He's not intimidated by anybody. He told me last week he couldn't wait to go against Breezy. I guarantee, I don't know how they set those up, but I guarantee when Breezy went over there, then Tate was like, I'm there. He wanted to rep against him, and that says all you know, because Breezy's a bad dude. Now, don't get me wrong, he is a bad dude, and I agree with him being up there in the top two or three players in the country, no matter what situation. But Tate uh, is only going to get better. And when you see where he is right now, give him some time with Sam Pittman. Let him drop about 15 pounds. He's going to, he, he may have to play, like, immediately. Uh, especially if Georgia loses who I think they're going to lose at the tackle position. So, he's not going to graduate early. He can't do it going to private school. He will not get on campus till the end of May next year, very similar to Andrew Thomas's first year. So, I just think that Tate uh, is a very, very good player. And, look, the bull rush in a drill like that is, is not what you want to see. And, and it's, it's when you're – we don't have pads on. It's a totally different situation. You can't sink your hip, get your hands on them, that type of thing, because you don't have pads on. And uh, The two reps, Breezy won one, Tate won the other. That's all you need to look at is those two reps, and those are two dudes, straight-up dudes. Yeah, I, like I said, I, w- I was just impressed that, that Tate was able to keep stay on his feet. I mean, you know, I look back at a guy like David Andrews, and, and David Andrews wasn't a very big guy. He he pro- he was he was incredibly strong, but but I I had more than one person tell me, and a couple people tell me during the draft process that that the reason he would be a good pro is his his ability to play with body control and ability to play with balance. You very rarely see him on the ground, and uh, those are things that that impress me when I see him with offensive linemen is is the ability to position their body and get it in the right spot. Because sometimes you're going to lose at the point of attack. You're just going to do it. Those other guys are on scholarship, too. A lot of times they're bigger than you are. I mean, listen, Jordan Davis isn't going up against any center in the country that's bigger than he is. Not one. But there are guys that are going to get body position on him at the time, and they're going to run right by him. And and that's just a part of the game. Getting beats part of the game. Making sure you don't get beat seven, eight, nine, ten times in a row is, is what makes you a great player. And uh, I feel like Tate Ratledge has that type of ability. And, uh, and I think he showed it against one of the best players in the country. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, moving more towards the team aspect uh, of this, and, and you know, we had a question brought up from the board that I thought was really interesting, and, and we definitely wanted to hit it on, on this podcast as soon as possible. Uh, it was kind of a two-part question. We're going to start with the first part of it. 
Um, the expectation for Georgia's defense and offense this year, and I know the Jeremiah Holloman thing, you and Kip talked about that on the last podcast. Um, it, the whole Jeremiah Holloman thing definitely kind of throws into question some of the stuff on offense. Um, but but looking at the defensive side too, um, how can these team? How good can these units be? You know, if they if they play well, how good do we feel like they'll be? And we'll start with the offense, Rusty, and and I'll go ahead and say it. You know, I think as long as Georgia's got that offensive line, as long as they've got those running backs, they've got margin for error. They they have an opportunity to feel things out in the passing game to figure out whether it's going to be uh, George Pickens, Lawrence Cager, uh, um, Trey Blunt, Demetrius Robertson, Kiaris Jackson, whoever it's going to be. They're going to Jake Fromm is going to settle in and find that target, and they're going to have the time to do it because. Teams are going to stuff the box, and 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 Georgia's still going to should be able to run the ball because of the experienced veterans they have up front, not just along the front five, but along but Charlie Warner as well, a guy that's you know blocked a lot of SEC defensive linemen, a lot of SEC defensive ends and linebackers. That's going to help this team a lot. But not only that, but that extra guy in the box is going to cause one-on-one matchups for guys and. Maybe the run game isn't quite as explosive as it needs to be until the pass game finds its footing, but but there's a sliding scale there for Georgia and a luxury they have there on offense. I think nationally this is a top 20 unit. Um, even with the questions at the wide receiver, I still think this is a top 20 unit and a team that can be really good on offense, especially with an upperclassman quarterback. It's invaluable. I mean, Dick Fromm as a third-year starter, it's very rare. You know, the school's going to get third-year starters. And you look at, like you said, the offensive line. I mean, we can talk about that offensive line all day. And I'll just put this quote out there. This is the best offensive line, and in, in, in I would say, in the history of University of Georgia football on paper. they got to keep proving it. got to keep getting better. But, I mean, those guys, they've got six or seven deep, what Sam Pittman's got right now, I think it's the best in the history of Georgia football, that room right now. Now, saying that, they also lost, what, their top five, top six receivers from last year. They averaged 41 points a game, a little, little over 41 points a game. So I think it's going to be difficult to average 41 a game through the season. Uh, there's going to be some games they're going to run the score up on, but they're a little bit tougher, uh, you know, with Texas A&M added to the schedule and then Notre Dame coming this year. Uh, a little bit deeper schedule, I think, but having those two at home are huge. But – I think Georgia could be – I would say Georgia could be a top 15 offense. I really do. Um, Jake Fromm is going to spread that thing around. and It'll be interesting as the season goes on now that he doesn't have Jeremiah Holloman, who's going to be his go-to guy because that's kind of been his M.O. I mean, to, to, I mean, obviously, Javon Williams that first year, you know, Terry Godwin was a little bit of that guy last year. But as the year went on, Holloman slowly became that guy. And you could see them working together. They came in the same recruiting class together. So – as far as them moving up into a top ten offense, um, I, I think you got to find who's Jake Fromm, who's going to step up a wide receiver. He mentioned all those names and all those guys are highly recruited as well. It's just their time to step up. So I would agree with you on offense. I would say top twenty. I think it can be. I think it can be a top twenty offense. I and mean, if somebody steps up in, in the receiver in the receiver role there, uh, maybe they slip into top ten. I think DeAndre Swift's going to be that guy. I think James Cook's going to give people problems. Uh, we'll talk about Zamir White on another show one day, but I think Georgia's got all the pieces right there. This wide receiver is going to be a big, big question mark for them. I think the one thing that might hurt them, Rusty, is the fact that 
when you look at some of those cupcake games, some of those, um, uh, and, and, you know, you never hear a coach bring up a cupcake game, but there are obviously the cupcake games and some of the weaker games. They're early on in the season, and they're going to come when Georgia's trying to feel things out a little bit. They're going to come when Jake Fromm is trying to establish that go-to target, that guy that he knows can get open on this back shoulder fade or, or, or he can trust with this RPO or whatever, and that might hurt them. You might see a situation where instead of scoring 56 against Arkansas State, they score you know 40, 48 against Arkansas State, and and you know the scoring offense uh, as an average may struggle a little bit because of that. Uh, but but overall, I, I don't think you know I don't think there's any concern with this team. Um, offensively once you kind of get rolling and start to establish some of those things. And I still believe um, whenever I really look at it and, and watch his film and, and look at him, I still think George Pickens is going to be um, a guy that's, that's going to be r- really good in this offense. I like the fit. I like his size. And seeing him at Camp Sunshine, just, just in normal shorts on the hoof, I mean, I'm telling you, man, he looked like, and I think somebody said this on Twitter and, and I agree with him. He looks like one of those Under Armour mannequins at, at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, he, he's, oh, my God, man, that cat is really put together. You want to talk about a high-hipped athlete, a guy with that's just, you know, all legs and no torso and and uh, and, and just exactly what you want in, in a wide receiver and a skill player. Um, he, he's everything that is and more, and, and I think that that's going to be huge. And I also think Dominic Blaylock's going to help out a lot too. The maturity level – um, with, with him and, and I think and think with Pickens, the competitive, competitiveness, and there's no replacement for, hey, you got a chance here. And there are a lot of freshmen who come in and they know something's going to have to happen before they're ready, and, but these guys don't. These guys know that right away that they can be a big part of it all, and, and that really helps with that wall and with that focus during, during preseason camp. You look at that wide receiver, and you, you brought up two names, George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock. Those guys may not be uh, what I call in the meaningful minutes early, but if you think Georgia has big-time plans, and you would say with this team here, the ultimate goal should be the goal for Georgia. You look at that off week before Florida, and that stretch run for Georgia, which could be Florida, Missouri, Auburn, Texas A&M, and Georgia Tech. Five games in November. Then potentially an SEC championship game, potentially a semifinal, and a potentially a national championship game. So Georgia could play eight games after November the 2nd. So those guys, as they develop, will become more and more important, I think, to Georgia. So if Georgia fans, if George Pickens only has three catches after the Notre Dame game, there is a hell of a lot of season left after November starts if Georgia has big goals for this team. And I think that's all the goals. So you look at eight games, think about that. There could be eight games after November the 1st for Georgia, which is incredible. So those guys, as they go through the season, it could be more and more and more names you hear, Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens, getting meaningful minutes and touches. Absolutely. And and the second part of that question that was brought up on the board, and it was, it was a great question, was outside the wide receiver. And we talked about outside the offensive line, which was the position group we felt would be a strength in the first podcast. We want to talk about outside the wide receiver, which do we think is the second biggest concern among the position groups? 
And, you know, there are a lot of position groups, Rusty. If you take, you know, a lot of different scoring formats do this. They they drop your highest score, they drop your lowest score, and then they kind of compile what you have from there. If you drop the, the position group I'm the most confident in, you drop the position group I have the most concern about, it gets tight. I mean, it gets really tight with Georgia. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any concerns about the secondary. I don't have any concerns outside of depth at quarterback. I don't have any concerns outside of uh, depth at running back, but if I've got to if I've got to pick a group that I'm a little bit concerned about, it would probably be the defensive line. And I say that because I love what Georgia has at that three tech spot. I love Tyler the combination of Tyler Clark and Devontae Wyatt. I think Michael Barnett's a real solid option there at at nose guard with Jordan Davis having having some uh, uh, you know some star potential there at the nose tackle position. I like the defensive end spot, but when you start looking at those those positions, there are some guys there that have been banged up. They, they, they've 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 had some injuries. Julian Rochester's coming off a knee injury. Tyler, I'm sorry, uh, David Marshall had had a major foot injury last year, a, a foot injury that it quite frankly took Robert Edwards a little while to recover from that injury. He wasn't quite the same to start the 1997 season or 96 season. Uh, that, that he was before that, and, and it was because of that that injury, um, that foot injury. So, you know, I, I look at that position, um, you know, it's one to me where Georgia has to avoid the wrong injuries. They have to avoid injuries to Tyler Clark, to Devontae White, to Jordan Davis, who's had back concerns of his own. That's a spot to me where there's no workaround. Uh, there, there's no like, there, there's no like, well, you know, we're a little short at running back here. Let's let's try to alter the game plan. If you're short at the defensive line position or if you don't have the dudes up front to make it happen, then there there's no hiding that. There's no putting lipstick on that. And and that, to me, because of the importance of it and because of the fact that there are so many guys that have a little bit of an injury history there, uh, I'm not really concerned about the talent, experience, depth, size, anything like that. It's it's just the 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 just the injury situation on the defensive line. And we learned last year when you play in the trenches, like the offensive line with the offensive line is where we learned it. But when you play in the trenches, five, four, five, six injuries is not out of the question. And I don't know that if Georgia gets those to the wrong guys that they can absorb that. It takes it. You have to have breaks. I mean, you have to have breaks. You, those teams that, you know, that win that thing are healthy. They have the right, uh, you got to look, it takes, I won't say luck, but the ball's got to bounce your way a couple of times. Look at Clemson with Syracuse. I mean, that game, Clemson was done. And they make a couple of throws, a couple of plays, and come back and win that game. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was knocked out. I mean, it was early on. I mean, you look at Alabama, the games they've won over the years, they needed a break or two, they got it. Georgia need, if you're going to win a national championship, you've got to, at the moment, you got to have that break. And uh, you're right with the key injuries. And, and I go back, and I was standing on the sideline. I was standing right there for all three of those series. And when Jalen Hurts was running that scramble to his right on three series in a row, you know who was out? DeAndre Walker. Well, you know who else was out? David Marshall. They, they were, at one point, they were having to play Walter Grant with his hand down in the ground. And that's not where he needs to be. And you look at those that tape, and I mean, not picking on Walter, but man, he got knocked completely out of the, the almost into the sideline on one of those plays. And you know, with DeAndre and David Marshall, and those guys creating pressure and able to to play uh, spots and control the line of scrimmage at the point of attack. 
can you've got to have the key guys healthy. And I agree with the defensive line. I think they're th- I think they're too deep. But the way they rotate, I'd be interested in what Dan Lanning does. The way they rotate these guys, uh, who's going to be those guys that's going to come in and get those extra minutes? Trayvon Walker with a wrist injury. I worry a little bit about him as a summer development. You know, he's got a cast on. I think he may have it off now, but he's had that thing on for a while, since the early May, I believe. You start looking at those guys and who can play Bill Norton. Is he going to be able to give you some minutes? You know, who's going to give you some minutes out of those young guys? Um, you know, so Zion Logue's a guy, I'm telling you, he could, he could have a Jordan Davis-type impact. That is a big dude when you see him in person. I went to Tennessee and watched him practice. That is a massive dude. So somebody's got to step up in there and give him some minutes. And I agree with you. Defensive line is the one I'm very, very curious on. Because they've got – I think they've got six that are, that are pretty damn good. Can they get a couple more in case they have an injury to step up? Because that could be the difference in – Georgia playing eight games after November first, and and you know 2017 2018 was the tale of two seasons in terms of in terms of that fortune ter- terms of that luck because uh, you know if Georgia would have had significant injuries at the outside linebacker position in 2017 they were in trouble. If Lorenzo Carter gets hurt or if or if uh, Davin Bellamy gets hurt in that season, uh, you know they are they're in big trouble because yeah they've got DeAndre Walker to come in but no depth. You know, all of a sudden you go to you go to having you know zero depth at that position. That was one of my concerns going into last season. Is hey, who's going to take? It's not it's not whether or not they'll be as as good as they could be. You know, in in the one deep there because you knew DeAndre Walker was going to step in and pick up the slack that that Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter, uh, you know, left behind, especially from a pass rushing and point of attack standpoint. But who was going to pick up DeAndre DeAndre uh, sorry DeAndre Walker's slack and and it, it, nobody was able really able to do that as the year went on. It wasn't just Walter Grant. They had Brenton Cox in there on one play, and I believe it was the touchdown throw that Jalen Hurts kind of str- you know strung out to his right and and put a ball on the money to, to Jerry Judy. Uh, Brenton Cox got pinned inside. I mean, he just got completely pinned inside and and made it. Eaten. Yeah, made yeah made it easy for him to get out there. So you don't want to have to rely on guys who aren't ready in those situations. And and I know as a coach, it's your job to get them ready, but you don't want to have to rely on that. And and you know if you end up having to, it's it's a coin flip at that point. It's a coin flip as to whether they're going to rise to the occasion or not. And you can't really blame them or judge them off of that. Um, and and that that that's something that's a scenario that I think could happen on the defensive line. Whereas it may not happen at very many other positions, and you know you could adjust the you know running back, you may have a little bit of that problem with DeAndre Swift with some injury concerns, but you know you can adjust some things to get James Cook in a position where he can make plays and and he can do what he needs to do. Uh, but but the defensive line, it's it's much tougher, and and you know those guys get worn down, and you have one of these games where the offense isn't exactly clicking, the defensive line's playing a lot of snaps, and a couple guys go down with injuries. Uh, you know, you could end up with your second loss or, or even your first and set yourself up for a second and kind of knock yourself out of contention there. And, and that's that's something you really don't want. So I, that's one of the big reasons that position group came up for me. And and not only that, Rusty, and, and I don't want to I don't want to be nitpicky when I say that. I don't think there's anything on paper to begin the season. Like you said, it all matters what they do on the field in the fall. But on, I don't see that as an elite unit anyway. I think it could be very yeah. good. I think it can be great. I don't think it's an elite unit to begin with. I agree with that. But I will say this. Uh, 
schematically the way Georgia uses their defensive line, if those guys can control their gaps and, you know, they're not a penetrating defense, they're not going to fly up the field, they're going to be able they, – they, they want those guys to control gaps. They want to be able to play the run. But I think what Georgia has in behind them, if you can allow guys like Kobe Dean, maybe Jermaine Johnson, Nolan Smith, uh, you know, Brent Cox, those guys that are a year older, uh, you know, if you can allow those linebackers, which you've got some really good linebackers, to run free behind those guys, which Alabama has been doing that for years, uh, along with some internal pass rushers, what has separated Alabama from Georgia is some of those guys were able to create pressure on their own. Look at Quentin Williams, who was an absolute beast this past year in a first year. Uh, Georgia was a different team, Jake, when Jordan Davis was in there. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because he ate up a ton of space in that middle. And he's also penetrated a little bit. So I don't think they are elite, but I don't know if they got to be elite if they just do their job and those guys stay healthy. Because I think guys like Malik Heron, can create some pass rush from a five technique. I think David Marshall can create some pressure. Um, it's just interesting how they do it. You know, you look and talk about Lorenzo Carr and David Bellamy. There were times late in that year where George put those two on the same side to give people problems. So, be interested to see what if Nolan Smith and Jermaine have busted out years for them. Can they use those two guys on one side? You know, do those things. So, it'll be real interesting. I was watching a game this morning. Uh, they used Adam Anderson as a spy in the Missouri game. He stood up a middle linebacker on third down against Kentucky, excuse me. And when they were going to run the ball or scramble, Adam Anderson was standing right there. So they they will step outside the box to do things that fit their personnel. I, I just think that maybe their defensive line doesn't have to be elite, elite. They need to do their job and let some of the other guys around them make some plays. Yeah, there's so much value in that Adam Anderson thing. I don't want to get off on a big rabbit trail, but when you bring in four outside linebackers on third down or you bring in three outside linebackers on third down, you know, you've got your offensive coordinator or, or, you know, whoever's up in the booth screaming down, you know, they're bringing pressure. These guys are coming. These guys are coming. And the next thing you know, one of those guys is athletic enough to – to hang around about five yards and keep your quarterback from going anywhere. And, and you know, they're only bringing three and, and, you know, everything's just messed up. And that's where I think this outside linebacker crew kind of changes everything for this defense because not only do you have, you know, five, six, seven tremendous athletes, but you've got five, six, seven guys that are a little bit interchangeable. You know, you've got Adam Anderson, you've got Nolan Smith who kind of do the same thing that are very similar players. Um, you know, I, I've said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again here. Brenton Cox, Aziz Ojolari, Jermaine Johnson, uh, you know, Robert Beal, they're all kind of your defensive end, outside linebacker hybrid types. But I've also seen Jermaine Johnson play in coverage and practice, and uh, he's he's a he's a different guy, man. He is such a so athletic, and George is going to be able to, to. One of the things I love about this defense and believe this defense can be a top twenty unit, and that's something we didn't. I guess we hadn't hit on yet is the fact that that they can mix and match, not just at outside linebacker, but at inside linebacker in the secondary. Um, you know, the secondary, I think, is going to be – I think that unit has a chance to be elite very much so, especially when you consider their diff, their ability to play different hands there with, with Richard LeCount, Notis Reese, the, the star position where you got Mark Webb and Devon Wilson, William Poole, uh, cornerback. Those guys aren't going to be able to, to let up at all because – 
they all know what happened to Tyson Campbell last year when he lost his confidence a little bit, and and uh, they've got dudes right there behind them that are ready to step up. And and you know that to me, the ability to mix and match on defense at the skill positions is is what makes this defense. Uh, so dangerous and, and one that I think is going to be probably one of the better ones in the country as long as that defensive line stays healthy. Hey, let me ask you this. This wasn't written down in our notes. One through 85, this is the best roster you could ever remember for Georgia? Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely, I mean, you know, on paper for sure. And, and you know, it, I think it's one through 84 now with without Jeremiah Holloman. But yeah, it's a it's a very talented roster. It I tell you what, if it's not the best roster I've ever seen, and I can't think of another one better, it's the most athletic roster I've seen at Georgia. And I, there are athletes all over this roster, and and the trench guys are massive. And and you've got a great combination of size, of of athleticism and experience and youth. I mean, it's 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 taken Kirby you know two or three years to kind of get it exactly the way he wants it. But I don't think. He's going to look at this. I don't think he's sitting there looking at this roster. They're going into a meeting room and looking at this depth chart and thinking, you know, we've got problems here, here, and here. Maybe they'd like to have another quarterback on the roster that was had a little bit of a game experience under his belt or something like that, but there aren't many holes he's trying to poke in this. Everybody wants, wants something else. Everybody wants another corner. Everybody wants a left tackle, extra player. That This is what you get. But as far as this is Kirby Smart's fourth year, he said in his open press conference, we have got to get bigger on both sides of the ball. And I know it kind of stirred up a little bit on the board. And, Jake, you were there in 2017 at Phillips Arena, or whatever it is now, State Farm, when Georgia walked in and when Alabama walked in that morning, there was a difference. And I'm not talking about – I'm talking about 1 through 85. There was a difference. Alabama was absolutely massive. If those two teams walk in another room together this year and we're at a SEC championship or we're in New Orleans or we're in Fiesta or wherever, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Only what T-shirt they're wearing. One, I have a Georgia girl. One, I have Alabama. Georgia has completely changed that roster. That's the truth. It really is. And, uh, you know, I really am. You know, I know, you know, we're not really, you know, we don't really get to be fans of the team and things like that. It's a job. It's part of it. But I'm excited to see what this team looks like in preseason camp. And we're only a couple, two, three, three or four weeks away. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see kind of how this team progresses through preseason camp, who creates the buzz. And, you know, as far as all that goes, we'll have it covered for you. Kip is going to be back with us later this week. Uh, you know, uh, to talk about the opening. He's going to have a ton of stuff from out there. Can't wait to hear from him and, and see what he can bring to you guys. But for this show, we're out of time. I'm Jake Rowe, Dogs 24-7. He's Rusty Mansell, also Dogs 24-7. This has been the Junkyard Dogcast. Thanks for sticking with us, folks. We appreciate it.